Joe Orth and I are starting a podcast. What should we call it? Hey, don't pick on me. You know why? Because this is why. Well, let's see what he says. The Joe Show. <laughs> Give Joe the business. That's right. Cup of Joe. Cup of Joe. What is happening here? Would you listen? We'll give you a chance. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> That's Joe. That's Rooster. And this is the Together We Shall podcast, episode 12. You don't know which finger to use the one. And I don't. To I really don't. Yeah, it's funny. And I'm like looking one. in a reflection above my camera to like, <laughs> yeah. 12. Yeah. What is happening, man? We're, we're meeting up to do this recording um, pretty close to the release of a recent episode. So I feel like we don't have much to catch up on, but I'm sure there's something you can tell me. What's happening? Uh, it, it is like a... Uh an odd time in our like schedules to to be doing this but it's a uh, it's neat flexibility right adaptability you know and opportunities present themselves and guests are able to be available you know we we shift kind of something that we've experienced over now almost my 19 years you know in the military semper gumby right always flexible so with that i'm in my my prep stages of uh drill this upcoming weekend so i got my hair cut Holding on to the beard as long as I can till the final minute. Jeans in town. We had the the Mother's Day celebration, so that was cool. Got uh, all the moms over here and smoked some brisket, which was quite tasty. And uh, right back into recording another episode. You? Yeah, man, a, a, a lot of neat things happening. You know, last episode we had Bill Johncock on, and hopefully our listeners have all had a chance to listen to that. But I, I had a chance to to kind of re-listen to it as I was preparing to to launch it, and also once it was launched, I listened to it again. And man, we we really did some fun diving. Like I thought it was therapeutic for all three of us when we hung that hung that phone up, so to speak. Um, and I enjoyed it so much. It, it got me revisiting this idea. Um, around mental health awareness month which is what may is and and you and i were talking about that like it when are they, why do they have so many months like what, what everything it's it's the months in the in the days like it's it's not just like taco tuesday anymore i don't know if it's national and then because international but i feel like like a monday could be national hot dog day and then thursday's international hot dog day like we talked about last night sinking calendars i think the world needs to get together on these national it's national pet month too the only reason i know that is because a snapchat filter like we need something on some synced calendar you know i don't know jeff bezos you know elon musk can you guys figure this out for us i need big brains to get together and make that happen that's hilarious man that's and your 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 ocd is kicking in really bad right now you're like no it's it's it's, that's like the truth like elon musk if if you listen to this podcast you can buy twitter you can buy holidays like make this happen in musk we trust come on man yes oh god that's hilarious um so so mental health awareness month (laughs) god all right, deep breath. Mental Health Awareness Month is where we're at now. And I mentioned I had a chance to really do some deep diving, you know, last week too. Um, and when it comes down to it, like, how do we get to a point where we don't have to have Mental Health Awareness Month, but rather we we normalize the conversation around mental health in a way that we don't need awareness for it, right? That's where we want to get to. Yeah, all of them, right? I mean, I think what was it? There's Suicide Prevention Month, you know, there's 
breast cancer. There's another like, why isn't it just why aren't we just aware all the time and bring awareness 24 seven, bring inclusion 24 seven. Let's bring awareness of other, you know, issues around the globe just all the time. I, I don't know, but but maybe like the educated people in the room do know, which is a good segue into our guest today, um, who has, has spent some time studying the mind um, and spends his days dealing with things that are happening in the mind. Uh, reference Adam Duritz, Counting Crows. One day they're going to make a movie about the things crawling around the, my brain, and it, I, that just happened. Tangent. Anyway, middle, America, in, middle America. There it is. The Middle America transition here to kansas so today we have um craig mcdaniel our ambassador for angels angels in wichita and he's joining us and so uh without further ado craig welcome to the show thanks for having me thought i'd let you know today is um eat whatever you want day according to my facebook updates so that's that's one i can get behind uh, that's that's a good one, but it's also fun when it's drink whatever you want day. So I'm going to go ahead and say drink whatever you want day too. Well, I guess if we're going to go there, we want as well just jump right in and say, ladies and gentlemen, it's Miller time. Miller time is that part of the podcast we invite you to grab whatever beverage you like from your most ice cold water all the way to your Celsius. Craig's drinking a Sonic, which which is fun, and of course we should be clear, Sonic is not a sponsor of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. But we're working on that, as well as all the other people that we've mentioned. Of course, if you are tube-fed, we invite you to ask someone, or look up, or signal, or just know that your caregiver is going to make sure you two can join in on Miller Time. Now that we got that done, um, Craig, where are you? What are you up to in, in in your life right now? And, like, why are you on this podcast? Uh, well, I'm in Hayesville, Kansas, which is a suburb of Wichita, Kansas. That's where I am. I'm at work as a, like Booster said, as a school psychologist for a, the district down here. And I assist with students with um, behavior problems, mostly in schools. Um, and I am here because, well, one, I, I think... Um, because our ambassadorship is a younger one and it hasn't been around as long, so maybe you wanted to uh, to uh, get a newbie's perspective. I guess it's been a couple of years, and then also um, for mental health awareness and and really like looking at what that stigma is to people and um, some things that that maybe I uh, I've gone through and and done and and then um, kind of what what came out of it. You know, I think any any message you can give to anyone that's struggling, you know, whether it's in addiction or um, anything else that's that's impacting their daily lives, I think anytime you can, you know, kind of share your story and and how it turned out for you, I think it can be uplifting for others. You absolutely nailed it, brother, and that is that is exactly why. After talking to you just yesterday, it hit me. I was like, Craig, I got to get you on here, man. We need to have a conversation because I think there's a lot of people that can benefit from hearing your story and your journey. And Ryan Cardinal, our new ambassador down in New Orleans, who took over for uh, Reverend Jarrett Banks, he emailed podcast at AinsleySaintGils.org with recommendations, and his recommendation was, "I love what you're doing. I love the flow, but let's get some new perspective." Perspectives of people that are kind of new to the family onto the show and i'm like hey ryan perfect good call so 
boom, a couple days later, Craig's here. So that's fabulous. Um, well, I, I mentioned earlier that Mental Health Awareness Month is this month, but what I didn't say is that ASICS, as part of um, their support for what Ainsley's Angels is doing, they invited me uh, just coming up next week to sit in on a conversation about mental health awareness. They've taken me and, and two other Marines, and they're going to put us on here, and, and we'll make sure all of our listeners are aware whenever that thing gets published. But I, I scratched my head and said, like, why me? Like, I'm not a professional. I'm not an expert on this topic. And nobody really had an answer except to say that, like, we don't have to be experts on a topic. We all have lived our lives. And that got me to say, you know, hey, that's true. So let's have some conversations about people who have lived their lives. I mean, you have been so transparent in your willingness and ability to share. But, like, March 10th, 2002, as we jump into our dance here, um, you know, that's a big date in your life. Can you take us back there? Yeah, and, and really, I think you have to go back to probably the spring of 1994, the year before I graduated from high school. Um, that was the first time I, um, I, I never liked the word experimented, but that was the first time I took a drink. And uh, even from that first time, and, and experts will debate, but um, I think there's some mechanism a lot of people have that tells them to stop drinking once they reach a certain point, and I just never had that. So from 1994 to, to 2002, um, it just, my, my drinking and alcoholism just grew and grew. And, and I mean, there was, I think it just got to a point, uh, probably for a while, that it just wasn't fun anymore. And you were just, you're using the drug to, to just sustain yourself. Um, and so I, I don't remember now, like what, I don't know that there was an epiphany or just like, you know, this just isn't working for me anymore. So on Selection Sunday of 2002, <laughs> I can remember because Wyoming um, was picked to go to the NCAA tournament. They actually won two games that year. I, I made the decision to stop. There wasn't a lot going right in my life at that time. So started intensive outpatient treatment. It's three times a week. I think I did that for about six months. Through that time, you know, probably... Like what I came away with was um, how lucky I was. My therapist at that time said that I was the smallest percentage of the population that, that quits. Um, I think it's any drug of choice at that time because I wasn't looking at a jail sentence and I wasn't looking at anything hanging over my head. And that's I was very, very lucky for that. I mean, a lot of people are looking at a lot of different things. And, and I also was very, very lucky that I had a, uh, a support system there with me. So... 20 years i mean there's a lot more to it obviously yeah but, uh, so and you're saying that a the therapist told you that a small percent quits i don't want to say like on their own accord but like yeah you didn't you know wound up in in a hospital and straight into right. rehab or the jail cell like you just made the cognitive decision that i can't i don't want to do this anymore yep yeah that's well and and it it kind of goes yeah i mean i I had a strong family upbringing. I mean, there was nothing wrong with my, my home growing up. I don't have anything to blame it on like that. I think I was really lucky in that and that I had, uh, especially my mom was such a strong figure that I, I just realized kind of what I was doing to her. I think that probably that external kind of piece kind of pushing in, I think definitely impacted at that point too. 20 years is, I think you mentioned it, um, you know, in our conversation, you know, the, the first year that, 
they say is, you know, the hardest, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've had some friends that, um, and family members, unfortunately, that don't fall into that small percentage um, mm-hmm. you know, that woke up actually in, in the hospital and didn't know why, how they got there and, you know, going back and getting uh, clean, right, and, you know, sober and that how hard that first year was. Like you said, the support system that surrounds you is, is really what's going to get you through that. So it's just a, it's always good to hear that people have that support system because far too many don't. And those are the ones that likely don't make it to 20 years. Yeah. And, and on. I think if we got to a point where we were able to normalize the conversation and it wasn't something that was so, I don't know, traditionally speaking in society, asking for help or admitting that you are addicted to something generally has a negative connotation or is viewed society by society as, oh, he's got a problem. If we can normalize the conversation to say, and, and I heard somebody say this recently, like if you go to the hospital because you broke your leg, does someone say, oh my God, he broke his leg. He's got a problem. Mm-hmm. No, we, we treat we treat it. We treat the leg and we have a conversation about maybe how the leg breakage happened and maybe how we could prevent that from happening again. And then the team shows up around them. But but like for, for whatever reason to admit that I'm addicted to A, B or C is so much negative connotation as opposed to I broke my leg. You understand what I'm trying to say, Greg? Yeah. I think you can expand that out to depression anxiety i mean there's so like so much of that that if you can't a broken leg is easy because we can see it right when when it's something that people can't see it just becomes i, I in in some ways it's um it, people think like oh he's just weak or he's making this choice and and i think for for a lot of folks it, it just isn't you know i mean that's the bottom line being able to see it uh is is a big piece too i mean I, I definitely have my share of anxiety, and I know probably a lot of our listeners do. Um, and I had to recognize that j- just under five years ago and take action. I mean, it Rooster remembers it. I had to bail. I was supposed to go somewhere, and that morning was like, I can't go. I it was just I was essentially having a panic attack, right? And sought treatment, and luckily been outside of a. Two small ones been been good, uh, you know, ever since. But those were the things, and I have a friend going through the same situation now. And talking to him, I was like, "Hey, man, that's you got anxiety." Like that was me, just you know, almost five years ago. Like, so here's some ideas on how you can better yourself and, and seek treatment. Um, so yeah, the the being able to see it, mm-hmm. I guess, might be, the, might be the easy one if there is an easy one. So that, that first summer, I just love to share the story. So this was that it was in May. So it's like less than two months after. Right. And I, I mean, I, you know, now I stole a ton of money from my mom in, in the midst of my addiction. Right. Like I broke, I broke, I don't know how she ever extended me any trust at this point, but I decided I wanted a Subaru Impreza WRX. It was the second year the WRXs had come to America 229 horsepower, five-speed Subaru, all-wheel drive, lived in the middle of Wyoming. It was like, Mom, I really want this car. I wasn't even asking her. She co-signed the loan for me. So she's trust, like, that amount of trust on, like, a $24,000 car at that point. And now I think they run about forty-five. 
I put inside of five months, I bet I put close to 50,000 miles on that car. Like I would go to work, I would get home, fill it up with gas, and then just go tear around on dirt roads in the middle of Wyoming. And that was, and that's how I got through that first summer. <laughs> and then I got my STI, which was the 300 horsepower version. Because, you know, when you, when you take away, when you take away the addiction, like all those personality traits are still there. So you're just laser focused and almost like perseverating on whatever new topic you have. And I, for about four years, well, three years, it was super. You're in Wichita now, which mm -hmm. me pointing to it is, you know, middle America. Montana's just north middle. How, yeah. why Montana? What, is that Rose really Wyoming. I know that. I grew up in Wyoming. Wyoming. And so about a year, I think it was, well, it was a little over a year after I got sober. I decided I didn't want, I was a cook. I went to culinary school out of high school and I decided that that life just wasn't, wasn't for me anymore. And my mom was a high school math teacher. So I decided I was going to go back and be a home economics teacher. I was going to go to college for it, but then the job prospects weren't really good. So I got, I went in for elementary education through the university of Wyoming. And while I was um, working on getting my degree, I worked at a, at a, it was called a mental institute, but basically it was a, a locked facility for, um, like ages seven to 18 that were in distress. So it'd be like, it's a 30 day lockdown. Most of the units were 30 days lockdown for those kids that their parents can control their behaviors or something was just going on that, um, they, they needed some pretty intense therapy and, um, psycho, um, psycho, like therapeutic, like they needed to get on the right meds and get all that. And I worked on the long-term team unit. So those kids were there for nine to 12 months. And I was a pair in that setting for about six months. And I just loved those kids. <laughs> One, they ran a lot of the same scams that I did growing up, just to a little bit bigger of a degree. And I, I mean, it was just like, I just thought it was a tremendous amount of fun working with them. I, I can remember like uh, walking out of my first shift and I trained with this guy and he comes out and he's like, I can't like, because they would call you every name in the book. I mean, you know, if, if you told them to do something they didn't want to do, that was one of their first defense mechanisms. So I'd been called every name. And he's like, I can't believe you are you didn't get mad when that kid called your mom a bitch. I said, dude, one, he doesn't know my mom. Two, he's in a lockdown facility. Don't you think that maybe I should cut him some slack? Because it's just like, I don't know how you could take that seriously. And so I decided I wanted to teach special education to students with emotional and behavioral disabilities. I graduated, I applied to almost most of the districts in Wyoming, and I couldn't get a job. This was 15 years ago now. And so tattoos have come a long way in 15 years. And, and one thing I used to do every anniversary um, of, of, on, on the 10th, I would go get a new tattoo. Like that was my other payoff to myself. But so no one in, I couldn't get a job as an elementary teacher even because of my tattoos. But you can apply to every school district in the entire state for Kansas with one click of the button. So I did that and it came down to, I think Colby, Kansas and Goddard, Kansas. And I knew Goddard was a suburb of Wichita. And so there's Wichita State there who used to have really good college baseball and I love baseball. Um, and then also Wichita State had the school psych specialist degree. So I chose Goddard and then, <laughs> That's how I ended up in Kansas. Yeah, well, that's a 
uh, a good story. And shout out to Kansas. Uh, I was talking to to someone about that the other day, like on my you know day job side of the house, where you know intelligence professionals like if a company's hiring five intel positions, right, and they're all for the most part the same, you know, qualifications, right. You can't just hit like select and hit apply to five. You got to like go through the whole process, you know, so similar to the school district thing. So that's neat that 15 years ago, Kansas allowed you to do that to, I would assume all two school districts they have in Kansas, but I don't, I don't know how many there is, <laughs> but if, uh, if that was the case, then I, I hope, uh, maybe Wyoming is doing that now. Cause that's, that's awesome. That allows like a district to see like, Someone they may not know they were looking for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you found them, they found you, type of type of thing. So that's that's pretty neat for sure. It 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 worked out well, and I, I was thirty years old, and I mean I moved down here by myself. It was me and my uh, Labrador named Daisy, and it was just the two of us. And so I had I had quite a bit of time on my hands in the evening. I mean I could entertain my dog and we had fun, but um, I have a, a cousin up in Lincoln uh, that has a diagnosis of Down syndrome. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I have this time. Let's let's start doing something with it. You know what I mean? I felt like those first couple years of, of being sober, I probably put towards showing my mom that she didn't make the, make a bad decision and, and all that she supported me through it. And, and this was the transition. And it sounds odd at 30, like you're just now transitioning away. <laughs> but um that was where I was, and so uh, I I thought, well, here here's a population I, I know a little bit about. I've spent some time with my cousin. Like we have a good time. We we've gone to a couple of Nebraska Cornhusker football games. So I looked up uh, what was then the Ark. I think it's called Ability Point now. And I so I started going on trips with them. So then you're you're a volunteer, and then like we would go. We went to Kansas City one time to watch KU play basketball. Um, we went to see the Harlem Globetrotters in, in, uh, uh, here in Wichita. So while I'm doing these, uh, there's, uh, I have a student who, I think he was an eighth grader at the time, but he, he, just, he didn't have parents at home. Like they, his mom worked at night, so he was getting into hijinks and trouble. And So I was like, all right, we're going to find something to do with your time. And the school district didn't mind. I mean, I might have showed, maybe I didn't have the best boundaries, but I was like, dude, we're going we're gonna to find something for us to do in the evening. And we're not just going to go out to dinner and hang out. We're going to do something worthwhile with our time. So I was on an art trip uh, with um, this lady named Nancy Teplin, who just passed away not too long ago. Uh, but she was a prolific uh, volunteer with the, with the ARC here in, in Wichita forever, she and her husband. So I asked her, I said, you know, Nancy, I'm looking for a special, the special Olympics team that me and my suit can go volunteer with. And Nancy's like, oh, I know just the person. And so she, uh, she gave me Lee's phone number. So then my uh, student and I went over and, and started coaching with her. And uh, we, I mean, it was fun for a season. And at the same time, like as I was doing this, I, I love baseball, right? So I decided I want to coach a little league baseball. And, and I, I don't want to sound bad, but I, I was like, I don't want to be just one of those dudes that shows up like this. I remember playing baseball. There was always, there was a single dude that would just show up and everybody would just kind of look at him sideways. And, and I'm sure that, you know, I don't know if that's still going on now, but so I was like, what's the best way? I, I, I don't, you know, I don't have any children and, you know, to get be in little league, you have to be seven or eight. And I don't want to wait seven or eight years. Cause I, I don't have that kind of patience. 
And so it's like, well, I'll be a foster parent. I'll, I'll, I'll be a foster, I'll take the classes, and then I'll, I'll request a 7 to 12-year-old boy so I can coach Little League Baseball. Sounds crazy. Wait, wait, hang, hang on, dude. Wait. So just um, you became a foster parent so that you could show up and not be the guy that everybody looks at sideways for Little League practice. Yes. That was my reasoning. I, I was that guy. Uh, 2008, I think. Uh, Rooster, yeah. you know, Chuck Atherton, uh, guy we were stationed with, was um, coaching his son's Little League team. Like, hey, we're short coaches. Like, a couple teams didn't have coaches. So if you know anyone. So he's like, hey, man, you should go coach um, Little League baseball. And I'm, God, so I'm 24 or something. And I'm just, like, just to be, hold on, just to be clear, Joe, this was also a time in your life when you were striking out at softball and throwing bats against the fence. Just want to take us back there, because that was a tangent. But, but <laughs> in episode four, we realized that that might not have happened, that someone might have struck out before I got up to bat and I was angry at that someone and the situation. And yeah, at the first practice, you know, people were like, which one's your kid? I'm like, None. I don't. I don't have a kid. I didn't have a dog yet. <laughs> the story really just was like, hey, my friend said they needed coaches. I have not much else to do with my time at this point. So it was literally like, well, I can do this or I can sit on the couch type of thing. So I, I did that for a season, and uh, I have not done it since. But uh, I'm sure at some point, and if my kids. Uh, with athletic routes, they decide I might uh, find myself coaching again. But that's funny. You didn't want to be me. <laughs> so, so, ladies and gentlemen, that was a tangent. We haven't had a good tangent in any of our episodes in a while. So that was that was fun. Let me try to pull it back to the thoroughfare, to that moment in time when Craig realized, if I can become a foster parent, I could be a Little League baseball coach. And then it begs the question, like, mm -hmm. what if the kids you were fostering didn't like baseball. What was your plan then, Hotshot? <laughs> I, I, I think everybody loves baseball. I figured my my love for the sport would be infectious. You know, I don't I don't always think and, and I don't always think through things all the way. Sometimes I just go, eh, this makes sense. Let's go for it and just see where see where we end up. And so then I got my first placement. I got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a 10-month-old. So no one was still old enough to play baseball. So I was a single dude, now with three children, never having had children before in my life. But, it, I mean, it went well for a while, you know. And um, we were, I was still, I, my student had moved on, but I was still helping coach Special Olympics basketball. Um, and, you know, talking to Lee, she had uh, three foster kids in her house. and And so I was really running out of ideas of what to feed these, especially the four-year-old and the two-year-old who were eating solid foods. The 10-month-old was pretty easy. But I was running out of things to, like, what to fix them for dinner. And I was, and I was smitten with Lee, too. So I figured out, how can I spend more time with her without ever taking a real risk of being turned down? So I don't have to worry about asking her out on a date. She could say no to a date, you know. So I was like, hey, you know, you have three kids. I have three kids. What if I just let you have the, you know, your my check that I get for these kids? So, and then we'll just come eat at your house all the time. It was the <laughs> smoothest pickup line 
forever. <laughs> oh, man. I love these stories, dude. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know which one's better. I'm going to become a really freaking coach by having a foster kids, or I'm going to meet my wife and court her. <laughs> I love this. He said he doesn't think things through, Joe. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's the same thing. Like, what if, what if she would have said, I'm, I mean, actually, continue the story, then I'll ask my question. <laughs> I got to know so, more first. So, well, I mean, it, it worked out, you know, uh, and well, and I was bringing my Labrador Daisy over, and, and she lived in Hayesville. I lived in Goddard. It's about 22 miles away. Um, and so my three cycled out, but I was still able to go over and spend time with her. Um, and then she still had her three, but, and I was still just coming over because that was already prearranged and she never told me no. Um, and then, and I did not train the dog to do this, but Daisy would not come home with me. She would, she, she wanted to stay with Lee. So, um, we'll have our first date anniversary coming up, uh, Saturday, actually. I can envision this though now. So this was, you said, 14, 15 years ago, like. The kids had transitioned out, but it's Tuesday, and you're still just going to Lee's house for for Taco Tuesday because yeah. it's, it's Tuesday, and right. and then it's time to go. And Daisy's just like you know yeah. on the couch or something. You're like, yeah. well, if she's staying, maybe, maybe I should stay or something. <laughs> no, I had to drive home. I would drive home without my dog. Get up, and I had to report to work at seven o five, so I'd have to get up early. I mean, some days she would just stay over there because then I knew I would be invited back. Like, I'm not ditching my dog. But some days I would have to go over before work and drive over. I mean, I couldn't have trained this dog to do it any better. So, you know. Don't you, don't you love the way he tells these stories? Like, he, he's not laughing. Like, it no. sounds hilarious, but, like, it's, it's like literally his thought process. And Shout out to Nancy and Daisy for, you know, yeah, paving your future. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I can tell you, I had a chance to go to Craig and Lee's house um, for the Rolling on the Prairie. And we talked about a little bit about that in a former podcast because it was my first time in Kansas. Um, and I will tell you, like, knowing all of this story and then witnessing the family dynamic that they have created today, like, you, you would have no idea that these two people met the way that you just heard. Like, mind-blowing and it, and it speaks to the idea that by having conversation you can really learn a lot more about somebody and that's what i love about this podcast so craig thanks for for sharing all of that and kind of telling how we got to a point where you and lee met so it, when did y'all actually get married um uh, or july 26th 25th 2009 so you, you struggled to find that, and I asked you a date on purpose because I know about your tattoos. So for our <laughs> listeners, you don't have to tell about all your tattoos, but what do you have and where are they? So on my on my left arm, I had each one of my children write their name. Like I just had my children write their name and their date of birth so that I, I would know it because what would happen, and we haven't talked about it yet, but, but Michael, he would be in the hospital, and I would call for the parent tray, and I would know the room number. But the thing they would always ask for is his date of birth. And I didn't know it. So then I'm going, you know, he's got tubes everywhere. So I'm going trying to find his wristband with his date of birth on it. 
just so I can get a chicken quesadilla from the hospital cafeteria. And then also, you know, when we would go to, like, if I'd take them to immediate care or something like that, where someone would ask me their date of birth, like, you know how embarrassing it is? I'm standing there in front of my oldest daughter, Veronica. I bet she was like 10 at this point. And they're like, all right, well, what's your date of birth? And I would be like, uh, let me text their mom. So now I can just real nonchalantly look down at my arm and I'm good. And my children think I love them. And I do. I don't mean to sound like that, but they thought it was like, you know, oh, he loves us so much. He's... But it, so it serves two, two purposes and it, it's in their handwriting at that age. So, you know, you kind of have that, that artifact there of, of, you know, when they were cute and cuddly now that they're all teenagers, you know, sometimes that's good to look back on. I, uh, I, I've heard of, I know people that have done this because mm -hmm. I, uh, have a friend who's done that, that I, that I see many days a week. And just yesterday we were signing up our kids for this, like, bowling camp essentially and yeah like you had to enter your kid's date of births and he's at the computer and goes <laughs> yeah that's exactly it i'm like Mark, bro come on man it's been <laughs> six years you got you don't know that <laughs> no. i think that's a good opportunity to get us into like shaping our listeners understanding for the sake of your storytelling mm -hmm. like you currently have how many children and or people <laughs> that you care give to that live under your roof like paint the picture like i know because i've been there right. but i think it will help us shape um how we want to tell the rest of the story so so lee and i have four children um uh, one sibling set of three and then uh howie and when we talk about adoption it's one set point in time like after that they're yours so it's kind of weird for me to say that we have four um and then we have brandy who lives with us she's lived with us gosh eight nine years now she's um i mean she she could live independently but she does better living with us if that makes sense so like chronological order there's you and lee and then there's right. four other humans and three other canines who are those humans okay so we have age order perhaps so we have we have brandy she's i mean she's she's the oldest and she, she lives with us. I mean, she just, she's lived with us for a long time. She just does, no, she's the one who does better with that. And then my oldest is Veronica. She's a freshman in high school. Then we have Howie. He's our seventh grader. Um, and then there's Michael, who's a seventh grader. And then we have uh, Harper, who's a sixth grader. So that's, that's the, the gang, as it were. And the three of those children were placed with you and Lee as their foster parents or they right. were with me first and then you like how did you come to to have Michael and his siblings okay. under your roof so how he came to Lee first and then I mean we were dating by that point and then um we kind of did things out of order I, everybody knows at this point so we had Howie and then we bought a house <laughs> then we had three more kids and we had Veronica Michael and Harper and then we got married. So we were a little, a little, well, no, no, we got, we got married after Howie, I think. And then the, then the other three came. So the way, but the way we got the three um, was that the agency knew that Lee worked in special education and I worked in special education and Michael suffered a traumatic brain injury. And, and so he was in the hospital. And so the lady said, oh, you both work in special ed, so you'll do fine with them. Now, Lee worked with 18 to 21 year olds like transitioning out of public school, I worked with emotional disabled kids and here's a six month old with a traumatic brain injury. No, but he, I mean, he's a total care kid at that point. Like, so that's how, um, 
that's how they all came. Like we got Michael and Bronca came a little bit later and then Lily was born and she came home one day after she was born. So like to, to some people, and I'm sure you've heard this before and I want to, I want to ask you a question about how you respond to it, but like to hear what you just said, like you and Lee currently are so unselfish except the fact that you were a foster dad, so you could be a Little League baseball coach. But with that withstanding, you all are so like unselfish that you've opened your home and you've brought these, these other humans in, and they are now your children, and you're raising them. And some people might say to you, gosh, Craig, that's amazing. Like you're, you're, you're just an amazing person. I, I don't know how you do that. Or you know, those types of comments. Yeah. Well, I think most people would do what we did and given the terms that we had. And the other, the other is, is, and we've never been made to feel this way, but this is just something that I've thought about. Um, I hope I don't get too personal with you, Rooster, but you didn't choose your life. You know, you didn't choose Ainsley, right? She was your child. We chose Michael. Like we could have said, no, no, we're not, that's not, that's not for us, but we did. So uh, there is a, there's a juxtaposition there. I think to that point, when people say that, it's like, well, we're just a family. I mean, at the end of the day, but we chose it. So this is what we wanted. You know, I mean, it's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no, you're not like some special human, no. You're a, you're a human who made a decision to bring Michael and his siblings and, and Howie into your home and raise them as they are your own. And that's a choice you made. And so I, I guess where I'm going with all this is like moving past how potentially heroic that may look, I think it's important. Like we, we need to get past like this great deed that you did and jump in on the fact that you're a father, period. And so how do you now live your life as a father with quite the interesting dynamic under your home is, is the next choice that you and Lee have. So what did you do now that you have, you know, these amazing kids, like how, how are you living life? How'd you choose to live life? Uh, well, I mean, we, we decided early on that um, we we're going to do anything a, a family would do. You know, I mean, we don't, there's no, I don't know that we ever, you know, other than heat, just because Michael can't be out in the heat a lot, but there's not like, we don't stay in the house anymore. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're just a normal family. We just do stuff. We bicker and fight and love each other. And you know what I mean? All that stuff that I think every family does. And, and I think that's what, that's what we all should understand that, that you are a normal family or trying to be as normal a family as you can. And that's that, right? I mean, right. yeah. Well, yeah. That's normal is the uh, the key word, right? Find your normal type right. of thing, right? And so, I mean, outside of the heat, right? Everything there. I mean, it doesn't matter what what people look like or how they act or everything. That's the normalness of you know the McDaniel family. It's, and we don't know anything different. You know what I mean? Like, there's that's that's it, been our life. That was a question I had. So Michael and Howard are both in seventh grade, yeah. And then Veronica's a freshman. Yeah, Veronica with a B. Veronica. So seventh. Don't grade. don't don't you ever mess that up again? Because <laughs> yeah, Rooster messed that up at the dinner table about a month I, and a half. I I believe I believe that you did for sure, and I probably were like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, but so, 
and so whatever that is, seventh grade is, I don't know how old you are, ninth grade, 14-ish, right? Yeah, 15. How long have they, they've all been, Michael, since six months, but what about everyone else? Veronica was four, and then Howie was two days old, and Harper was one day old when they came into our house. And Michael pretty much is a new was a newborn at that point because he he was coming out of the ICU. How do you navigate the conversation? I mean, as far as from what you just told me, like you are their parents, like mm-hmm. it, three of them at least because of their age when they joined you, like they view you as their parents. But like for the sake of conversation here, you and Lee are Caucasian appearing people. Your children are not Caucasian appearing. So how how has that worked? Well, I, I did a lot of reading. I reached out to, to people that I knew, especially with Howie, um, being a black male. I've never been uh, faced with any kind of um, discrimination. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white male. You know, and really the overwhelming thing I got back was just love them. When we deal with outside people, like we just have honest conversations with them, you know, about... You know, there's certain things you just can't do. You, you know, your your white friends can probably do, but you can't. And then um, we've probably done sometimes I think too good of a job because then when he gets in trouble, he tells us we're racist, which is kind of funny. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I love that you're able to say that that's kind of funny, and that speaks to the relationship that you have with your son right. and the the transparent nature in which you've navigated this. But I, I do want to take you back, Craig, and and if I if I'm not appropriate in asking, but like you, I want to clarify for the listener, you've told Howie that his white friends can't do something, but that he can't or shouldn't. Right. Can you expound on that? Just because I, I that's a big statement. Help us understand that. Adolescent hijinks, like they, he and three of his friends went into this abandoned house. And that was a conversation. That was when that conversation really came up was like, you're going to be viewed differently coming out of there compared to your, your two white friends. And the likelihood that something is, is going to happen to you, not necessarily happen, but you're going to be held to a higher level of accountability due to no fault of your own, that, that could very well occur. And I mean, that's, that's, there's no question in my mind that 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 that, that could you know what I mean I, I I don't leave that up to debate in my world he's he's faced racism like he's been called names by peers we've had some you know and, and just other places where where we've seen it um, even starting as young as when he was three years old so it ha- I mean it happens and I didn't see I had no experience with it so I had no idea and I really had to go and, and do some reading and read about you know, um, to open my eyes to it, I guess, because when you haven't experienced something like you don't ever consider it, you know? And so I had to face some of what my own, uh, my own tendencies were. And I had to come to terms with, you know, there, there are aspects when I'm in certain situations where my, my mind goes to discriminatory racist things. I have to be aware of them to challenge them in the moment. Um, and not be afraid to challenge it. And then I have to have open conversations with Howie about it, too, because he, he needs to know. I think he, he deserves to know. And, and really all three of them, because they're with uh, or all four of them, because they with the three uh, from Guatemalan descent and then Howie, they, they do. I, we just have to continually have these open conversations about it so that they're aware, we remain aware, and we just have to remain vigilant. And that doesn't mean that every time he gets into trouble, like we're looking at it going, oh, you know, that, that's not, 
that's not the point. It's, but could this be present? Are we holding him to the same level of accountability as his peers? Like those are the things that we're working with people, you know, like school administrators, things like that, just so that, because for Lee and I, I don't, and Lee more so than me, those just wouldn't be things that I would ever, I'd ever considered before in my life. Damn, man. <clears throat> Thanks for that, bro. That's a, uh... That's some that's some strong perspective, and um, it's the essence of the type of conversations that we aim to have on this podcast. So that wow, what a journey, J Joe. Response to that as, as I'm like as the diving deeper into the like you know race discussion. You know, I'm, I was thinking to myself, I was like, it's something out of like you know tv show or a movie t to an extent right and i thought about like this is us i don't know i know rooster you you watch it out craig i don't know if you've heard it but it's um kind of a similar story with uh an adopted you know vice fostered um but that individual is black going into an all-white family and and there was some you know the stories and how, but in the end, they found their normal and they had conversations that some people can do things that the others can't do. And it's, it's just, it's exciting to see that the purity of individuals isn't just on ABC type of thing. So, you know, yeah, no, that's great. To, to you and Lee for just being awesome human beings. <laughs> yeah. Case. Case in point, here's Joe calling you and Lee awesome human beings, and you're like, I'm just living my life, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I laughed. Just because we just talked about it. Uh, right. But it's but, human nature to, to see what you're doing, and, and we, you can't help but be like, wow, that's amazing. And the beauty of it is you're not living your life like you're amazing. You're living your life like you're a father to four. The humbleness is just outweighing. Like I just, of course, this is what I'm doing. Like what? There's nothing superhero so, about it. It's just. I think I can tie it together. So about so you know where we started back in, in 2002, um, in about 2005, 2006, I was walking in, into church with one of my best friends from high school, and he'd known me all the way up through when I was 22, 23, whenever it was, I quit. And he looked over at me and he said, you know, I expected to be walking in, but I expected you to be in the coffin. And that was just like, holy moly, man. So in a lot of ways, and, and I still think about this, when I think back, like it's, it's hazy that far back. But I never thought I would own a house. I never thought I'd have a career. I never thought I'd be married. I never thought I'd have children. Like none of those things seemed at all possible because of where I was and what I was doing and my choices, right? So now I think, like, I come home, I have, I have a house, I have a job, I have a wife that keeps me in check. <laughs> I have four kids that I love to death, I have Brandy, all these things, and it's just like, dang, man, this is, this, you, you can't, it's not that I don't want to screw it up, but I, ha I, I have to be, I don't know if grateful is the word, but I, I mean, there ha there's something there that's like something happened to me 20 years ago for me to end up here. And, and I better dang well appreciate what I have. And I did a lot of work, but there's a lot of people that did a lot of work with me. And I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that really hit the central point, but 
that's something I have to, like, I don't have to remind myself not to drink every day anymore. I don't have that problem. Like, every once in a while I'll think, oh, it'd be nice to sit out on a patio and have a couple fat tires. But I know that's just my addiction that kicks in. But the, the appreciation I need to have, or at least be mindful of sometimes, again, um, maybe that's, maybe that's kind of what you're hitting on a little bit, which Lee would disagree with because I'm a selfish, self-centered person, you know, like we all human beings are at home. But I mean, that, that, I think that comes back to the core of it at times. Yeah, it really does come back. It, it, it wraps it up pretty and in a bow. And it's the thesis is that if Craig McDaniel would not have taken the time to look inward and then to do something about his, his perception of where his life was going, then you probably would not have a home and children and wife and a profession. You, you may very well have been what your good friend said would be in the coffin, you know, in 2006, seven, eight, nine. So starting with self, and that ties right back into the things we've talked about on here before, that once you start with self and look into self, then self can partner with others. And then that together we shall thing becomes that much more powerful as we go forth in mass. But never should we lose sight of the opportunity to take some time to remember where we were, and also to take some time and ask ourselves, how are we doing today? You know, that's so important. I don't think we do that enough. Um, so, I, yeah, thanks, man. Like, that was fun. I, I do want to get into, like, you and Michael running in a bob and kind of tr running together and you're doing this thing. And, and then somebody told you, no, you and your son can't be in this race. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was... We'd done a couple races around Wichita. Um, we did one Wichita, one Kansas City. And we signed up to do the Omaha Marathon. And that would have been my second marathon, I think, at the time. You know, my, somewhere in there. But we, I like reached out to him to make sure. Because I was like, well, we're not a wheelchair participant. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be pushing in. And so at first, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can start with the, with the chairs at the front. It sounded totally cool. And then about a week before the race, she called and she said, you know, we checked and, and we just can't make it happen. There was some insurance liability. I didn't quite understand it. I was just like, but I was still welcome to come up and race. And I don't, you know, I'm sure those folks from the Omaha Marathon aren't there anymore. So I don't, I don't have any negative feelings towards them at all. Um, but that was kind of, that was step one, I think, towards where I, where we are today in Wichita with Ainsley's Angels. Um, the second step, I don't mean to steal your show rooster, but the second step was he outgrew his Bob stroller. So it was no longer safe for him to ride in. He was too big. I don't remember what the weight limit was. And so I'm looking online. I didn't even know what to call these chairs, you know? So I'm searching and I find, and I was trying to remember, I think I was trying, I don't remember what year it was that I found the Ainsley's website and they had a chair grant program. But I, I've always been kind of like, eh, I don't want to do a grant, you know. Um, there's always more deserving folks out there. And if there's a limited number, you know what I mean? Like, I just, so I didn't pursue it. And we were just kind of like, we'll find a used one. So in the summer of 2019, we found a used chair. So, but I wasn't going to go back to Ainsley's yet because I was sure their runners were in way too good a shape and I hadn't been running. So I was going to wait till I could get back to a good mile per minute with Mike. And then I think I got down to like 10 minutes a mile. It's like, all right, I feel like I could be on the outside 
running with these people. So I looked it back up and uh, like, oh, you know, it was find your location and there's nothing in Kansas. Like somehow I clicked on something where there was a, a YouTube video with Tanya and her last name was McDaniel. I was like, this is a good sign. You know, I'm, we're not related. I wasn't worried about that. But you know what I mean? Like when you're, uh, for me, it's like, I'm looking for anything that maybe is a sign or maybe something to me that maybe this is a good endeavor to go to. And so I watched the video and then I think I filled out, I sent her an email. I bet like that afternoon I got an email back and then I, I got home. I, I asked Lee, I said, well, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And, and I, I think in most, in most family, and I don't want to over, overgeneralize, but I think a lot of times in, in families that have a, a child with significant medical needs, there's one kind of point parent that knows, like Lee knows every medication Michael's on, knows every specialist, knows every surgery. And I'm just a good time Charlie that can't even remember his name to order dinner, you know? So I, I think I was looking for something that we could do together. You know what I mean? Like, so what's something that I can add? I mean, I'm, I'm his father. So this is kind of weird, but it's like, this is something we like to do. This is something I can do with him. I can't play Little League Baseball with him. You know, I can't, there's, there's a lot of things you can look at that you can't do. But here was something that I was like, we can do together. And then we can also maybe share with some other folks that I think would really like it. And that's, that's where our, our Ainsley's journey really began. I, I remember my first donation was from my friend Summer, who I graduated high school with. And she lives in Texas now. I hadn't talked to her in years. And then from my aunt and uncle in Lincoln, that their, their oldest son has a diagnosis of Down syndrome. And I was like, Let, let's just go in. Let's just go for it. Again, no plan. <laughs> just let's, This seems like a really, really good endeavor. Let's give it a shot. And it's just been amazing. It's been an amazing uh, three years now. Like it, I, I sent this text to Rooster a while back. I, I think you were checking in. It's like back in maybe it was January of 2020. And it was just like one, one line. Like, hey, I was just checking in to see you know, how things were going or something. And I texted him back like this huge, long soliloquy about how I felt that Ainsley's was making me a better person, how it was like, again, like refocusing my perspective to see the good. Um, and that's still true today. Like I, I really try to, uh, instead of looking at a person and like, oh, they're doing that to me on purpose, like, oh, well, I haven't communicated well enough with that person to know that, that, that that's making me frustrated or, you know, if they want to cut me off in traffic, maybe they have somewhere more important to go. I don't think I'm not letting people walk all over me, but it's just there's some positivity that comes out of it for me. Um, and I don't even run with Michael every time. You know, I, I far Michael out to runners quite a bit. Um, so it's gone beyond just my my relationship with Michael and being able to provide him with something like tangible that's not just surviving you know it's not just like food and shelter like it's not that part of like this something that i mean obviously sports and things like that outside like the extra cooker things are, are really important to me and this is what i can do for michael and then i'm meeting all these great people on top of it and we're building a community and it just i mean it's it's just love man and i and it i mean it's really it's changed my outlook in, in some ways and i think still i and i still believe that it's made me a better person in a lot of ways that was pretty impressive, brother. Thank you for all of that. Like that was, wow, what a what a story. And, and you nailed it. It's love. 
and that's what powers you to do what you do. Um, and, and here, as we started off talking about mental health awareness, like at its core, your mental health can be fueled by the love of others and by perspective and by people showing up alongside you to show you that you're not isolated. And Joe and I have talked about that more than once. And the name of our podcast is Together We Shall. So I guess if anybody's feeling isolated right now, um, please, like if you're hearing our voice, I, I don't. I don't want you to continue to feel like you're isolated. Like somebody out there would love to hear a story. You know, I I don't know how to put that into words. And so I'm looking back at the psychology professional to help me put that into words. But when you get into some of these places, at least for me, it felt so dark and I was so stuck and I just didn't see any way out. Um, I think anytime that you reach out and, you know, there's 800 numbers, but I mean, there's, I think, there's people in our communities everywhere that that we can make those connections as so because we're social creatures and understand that if you're you, while you feel like everything is so unique just to you, there's other people that can share that perspective to an extent. Not a hundred percent, but there's going to be something shared there. I mean, I see beautiful things like that every race, every race, like whether it's parent. Or, or caregiver and runner, or parent to parent, or runner to runner, like that, that, and, that, and that's that community piece that I think is, and that's what I wanted to build, and that's what we have the framework here to build off of. So I probably cir- like circled around it a bit, but that was the best way I could think to put it. Yeah, I, like I said, like maybe not to the, you know, a hundred percent extent, but everyone can relate in some even one percent type of thing and that's where like the full circle and and the family comes back um play you know ainsley's angels is this extremely large family of everyone that's different right look feel personalities abilities etc 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 but we're still one big family and that's the love it's awesome to see that that love and family can grow in the middle of America by a simple email. It's just that. I mean, the power of email. <laughs> the last yeah. name of email. <laughs> yeah, not, not only is Tanya, you know, maiden name McDaniel, and you share that with her, but she also studied psychology. I mean, that's, that's her profession. She has, I don't even want to say what her degree is, but she's got a master's in something related to psychology. The master's works out for her. Yeah, we often say that. How's that master's working out for you? Whenever somebody does something brilliantly. Um, um, I think what y'all are talking about in addition to love and all these things is just how, how at some point there's an intersection and that that intersection is that commonality. And through talking and storytelling and, and just listening to one another, we can find ways where we do intersect and then we can use that intersection to grow together. Um, that's the essence of what I love about what we do and storytelling. And, and Craig, you've been very, very vulnerable in terms of your willingness and openness to share your journey. But I know that somebody heard an element of your story and they connected with it. So thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. I like telling stories. And I share, I mean, I do. I like sharing my story because it's, I mean, I, I chose every difficult way possible for a long time. And, uh, and I think for a lot of people, 
they get into this hopeless state. And I'm just like, you know, if jackass like me could pull it off, like, you can. Like, there's, absolutely, there's hope. You know what I mean? Like, if, if I can do it from where I was, I really do believe there, there's hope for, for a lot. So dare I assume that your weekly word for the week ahead is hope? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that because I knew it was coming. I mean, I was hoping, like, I could share a fun fact. Because I know Lori was trying to, you know, fun fact, my first car was a 1979 Chevy Cheyenne Blazer. So I didn't know that we shared that in common. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, hope, and I mean, I, seriously, it just comes back to that same, that same uh, maybe even, like, it's just love, man. I, I know I know, 22-year-old me would roll his eyes, <laughs> but seriously, like, that, that, that's what, I mean, that's what I think just continues to drive me and, and really be able to see people for who they are, not, not who they are in that moment. Talking to you all, that's what this always comes back to for me. Joe, do we want to have you tell us about your weekly word, or uh, is Craig taking over the show? Yeah, the power of love, I, I don't know. My weekly word, I think, is going to be flexibility. I mean, like we talked about earlier, like, being flexible and not in a uh, physical sense of hamstring flexibility, but we had to, to pivot and, you know, grab another opportunity to sit down with a guest and the flexibility of, of life and being able to foster parents as, you know, for various reasons because of the deep power of love um, that Craig has. So flexibility relates to so many elements of life. So I'll, I'm going to go with flexibility. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Craig, what would you say as we wrap out this episode to someone who's listening who um, who feels like they are isolated like what would you say what would you want them to hear right now from your from you to them there's people out there that are willing to listen and it's the scariest part is taking the first step but sometimes like that that's all it takes is one step after the other and and you can you can get out of this and i think um there's a lot of people out there that are willing to listen. Uh, you know what? I got, got enough. Time. He's in charge. <laughs> we're done. This was good. Yeah, we're done here. <laughs> uh, the structure of this building has reached its capacity. Find your people, and if they make you feel sexy, even better. To all our listeners, don't forget, at the end of October, Angels Angels is an official charity partner of the Marine Corps Marathon. So if you would like to <laughs> ride or roll, email joe at ainsleysangels.org.